0: I want to start out with a a story. Some of you may have heard this story before. Some of you may not. A well-to-do man dies and goes to heaven. St. Peter meets him at the pearly gates and escorts him to his new home, to his promised mansion. They go walking down the street, walk by all these beautiful, amazing, elaborate mansions, he asks Peter, Who is, who's, Whose mansion is this? Oh, oh that, that's Mother Teresa's. She helped the poor in Calcutta. This is the fruits of her labor. Her, she, was, she spent her life helping the poor. She walks by another one. Francis of Assisi. Oh, this is Francis of Assisi's. He helped lepers on earth send up to us good fruits. And now they're having a party in there. Walks by mansion after mansion. It's going further and further. They, the houses start to become um, just not as not. It just just go from these big, huge, elaborate mansions to these beautiful homes to these cozy cottages. He walks by everyone, thinking, "Oh, well, this one's going or, or, to be mine, or this one's going to be mine, or this one's going to be mine." Finally, he comes to uh, a small. Well built, but still small and cozy little cottage. And St. Peter says to him, This is your home. And he, he's, he's shocked. He just doesn't understand. He says, why? why? Why this? Why so small? Are you sure that's all I get? Peter replies, Yeah. That's all you set up here. So that's all we can build. Why? Do we do what we do? Why do we do what we do? Why do we act the way we do? Why do we... Every choice that we make has a reason. Everything that we do. How we drive down the road. Where we go. Why we've got the job that we've got. Everything everything that we do has a reason. I'm one where I'm... There's always a reason. I can always find a reason or an excuse for everything that I do. I'm usually one where something happens and I'm upset. There's a reason why I'm upset. This is why I did what I did, and this is why it's right. Every decision of our lives comes from our, point, uh, from our view of life. Sometimes I think we get... Well, I know. I don't, I, I've grown up in the church. I, I'm a guy that I got saved when I was three, My family went to church every Sunday. It was very rare if we ever missed church. A lot of times we'd go two or more times a week. We were always in church. We tended to drift from church to church, but we were always in church. And I think with all the churches that I've been to and with all my life that I've spent in church, both good and bad churches, It seems like we, as the church, lose sight of a few things. We are people of eternity. We do not exist for today any more than we exist to eat a roast beef sandwich. We're not here for the right now. I don't. I don't. I'm not alive to eat a roast beef sandwich. That roast beef sandwich feeds me and keeps me alive, but that's not why I'm alive. C. S. Lewis, one of my favorite one of my favorite authors, he's God gave him the gift of taking complex theological truths and bringing them into something that people could understand, much like parables. In in his book the last battle, the last of the series of the Chronicles of Narnia. And in some of his other writings, he talks about how the life we live has so little meaning. He describes our current existence in the light of eternity. It's not as the first book in a volume that that defines our existence, nor even the introduction to a book that's one of the volume that defines who we are. It's not even the first paragraph of the the introduction of a book, of a volume, of who we are. But rather, our existence here on earth is the tiniest of first strokes, of the first words, of the first paragraph, of the first volume, of millions, billions, quadrillions of volumes of who we are and who we will be within eternity. I think we need to get to keep this perspective. The lives we're living so quickly fade, so quickly end, that it's as though they have no real purpose or substance. We so often and so easily lose sight of the fact that when God created us, He created us as eternal beings who are living temporary, temporal lives, bodies that are temporal, but that we are not. Who we are, this flesh, is only temporary. It's only very short term. But who we are is not. The 75 to 85 years of our lives is inc- inconsequential in the overall picture. This, this thought, this concept of C.S. Lewis, that he talks about this, it's just a little tiny slash in the very beginning of the very introduction of one book in our billions of, of series of, of talking about our life. Really, I've really thought about and thought through that idea and that concept, and I have, I've had to agree. At the same time, I have to disagree with what he says. Time-wise, the 75 to 85 years that make up the average human lifespan is, in, is inconsequential. It is as the first stroke of the first letter of the first word of the first paragraph of the first page of the first millions of billions of quadrillions of volumes of our existence. This time has so little meaning, it may, not, it may as well not even exist. It is humbling that our time here on earth is like that. The problems that I live with today, even the life-changing ones, are inconsequential. They have no real purpose or meaning in the face of eternity. However, at the same time, from reading God's Word, I see that this very basic concept is both accurate and at the same time very inaccurate. It's missing something very important. While it's true that our time here on earth is so short our lives and how we live them set and define our place in eternity. Pastor Bob talked about hell a couple of weeks ago. And he prepared that and set that aside and set that before I ever he ever knew that I was I was going to talk about this subject. And so this is almost a continuation of that. It's almost like these physical, substantive lives that we live are the formative time in the womb of eternity. Who who here knows anything about childhood development? Has studied that? Who here studied a little bit of childhood development? Knows about what early childhood is like those first few years? Who here has had three or more kids those first few years of their lives help to define who they become in such a major way. Wouldn't you agree? That character, that personality of who they are defines them. Those first few years, Lori and I were have our master's in counseling. We went to school for, for marriage and family therapy and for individual counseling and and we've done a lot of studying of this. Those first few years when when you hear about these stories of people who, who go out and they murder and they kill countless people, these mass murderers, they have no mercy. It's been shown that that personality, that kind of personality is usually built within the first few years of their life how they react how they relate to other people how people relate to them how their parents relate to them that ability to socialize that ability to relate to other people and to understand other people's pain have a hard time they have a hard time with they can't they can't feel other people's pain they don't know how to because something happened early on in their life in which that development, that part of their development, that, that part of their process was lost. They never gained it. They never gained that ability to understand other people's pain, to see things from another person's perspective. So much of who we are is defined in those first few years. There, there's When a, a therapist or a psychologist or psychiatrist Diagnosis somebody with a problem. There are there are different there are different levels There's an access one diagnosis which is something similar to Stress related like something simple like this person is 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 having a stress-related problem they are going through um, difficulty in their life because of some of stress It might be um, attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. Something that is temporary. Something that can be overcome. Something that can be, with with the proper treatment, can be taken care of. And there's an access to diagnosis. And this is what's called the personality disorder. This is what's called the schizophrenia, narcissistic Those kinds of things. Where somebody is so focused on themselves, they they can't... It's about how they relate to other people. Someone who has a narcissistic personality disorder, everything is about me. Everything is about me. Everything, everything is about me. It's all about me. This isn't just someone who has narcissistic tendencies. Not This isn't just somebody that, that walks around, oh yeah, I'm all that, blah, 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 but then has friends and, and can relate to other people. This is a person that their whole world is about them and nothing else. That, that access to that personality disorder is something that psychologists, psychiatrists, counselors recognize will never change. Chances are, It will never change. Chances are, it doesn't matter how long or how hard you work with them, they will always have this personality disorder. They will always have this problem. Usually it's defined within the first few years of their life. God can heal it, but beyond that, you you could get the the, 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 the best therapist, the best psychiatrist, the best psychologist in the world, Chances are that person will never get over it. They'll only learn how to to deal with it. They'll never get fully through it. It's marvelous. To me, it's marvelous. It's amazing to see so much of who we are is defined not by what we learned in school or by what kind of job we have or even by how much money we make. Our personality, how we react to problems, how we relate to others is all defined by the seed of those first formative years. It's something we see can clearly explain. But even more so than that is that time in the womb. That time that we cannot see is even more formative, even more definitive. There's a reason why pregnant women are told not to get drunk or to do illegal drugs or to smoke or even use many types of over-the-counter legal drugs. For that time, the personality has developed in those first few years, It's even the the person of who you are is formed even more defined in the womb. It's so formative that even small issues can have life-altering consequences. One of the things that, that over the years I've come to appreciate about that time is that it is literally God's work. That formation of who we are is literally God's work. He is the one who forms us. In Psalm 139, 13-15, King David states that it was God who formed him. He says, you formed my inmost being. You knit me in my mother's womb. I praise you so wonderfully you made me. Wonderful are your works. My very self you knew. My bones were not hidden from you. When I was being made in secret, fashioned as in the depths of the earth. That's what David said. Even more than that, God himself states that this is what he's doing. Jeremiah 1, 4-5 says, Now the word of the Lord came to me saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I have appointed you prophet to the nations. I've heard people speak about that and say that this is the only time in the Bible where God specifically says, this is my job. This is what I do. I don't know if I, I, don't know if I agree or disagree with that, but that's what he's saying right here. He's saying that he formed Jeremiah in the womb. Job goes on to say the same thing. He talks about how God created him, how God formed him. David says this. God says this. He says, this is my job. This is what I, this is what I do. Before I, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. This time we have on earth, I firmly believe, is in the womb of eternity. It defines where we will go and who we will become in eternity. Our life here on earth. Christ talked about. The Bible talks about how we were created and we were formed by God for relationship with Him. It goes on to talk about how, how He created us and He formed us, and our decisions that we make define whether we go to heaven or hell, if we accept Christ. We are, we are, we are sinful creatures that we can't stand in the presence of a holy God. We're sinful creatures. The choices that we make drive us away from God and push us away from God. But Christ came that that does not stand in our way, that that doesn't have to stand in our way, that we can spend eternity with Him in heaven. Or by our own choice, than eternity in hell. This this time that we have here on earth, we are in our physical bodies. We are here for a, a temporary time, growing, maturing, learning who we are, understanding who God is, being formed, so that when eternity comes, when this is over, when this body ceases, and we are born into eternity, that's where things really begin. We have decisions to make. So we have a little bit of a different view on our lives here on earth. See what the Bible has to say about, about how we are to relate to our lives here on earth. Christ, in, in what is now referred to as the Sermon on the Mount, states Matthew six, nineteen through twenty one. Do not store up for yourself treasures in heaven, on earth, where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where t- thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. His mentality, his focus is, we're not here for here. We're only here in preparation for something bigger. Don't store up your treasures here. All the stuff, these cars, houses, nice clothes, high-definition TVs, all these things are insignificant. We put so much value on these things, yet they are of such little value. They're here, and then they're gone. They make us feel better about who we are. Yet they do nothing to prepare us for what awaits us. We want more. We want to be, we want everyone to love us. We want everyone to, to think that, oh, we, they've, got, they've got the best. But all these things, cars, houses, clothes, all these things, we can't take them with us. We're only here for a very short period of time. We can't take it with us. The early church had a much better understanding on these concepts. In the first first few chapters of Acts, it talks about how the people sold all the things that they had and shared with one another. Even more than how we should see the things in our lives is how we should live our lives. Galatians 6, 2 through 9 says, Bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But each one must examine his own work, and then he will have reason for boasting in regard to himself alone, and in not regard to another. For each one will bear his own load. The one who is taught the Word is to share all good things with the one who teaches him. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows this he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. And in Acts 5, 40-42, they called the apostles in and had them flogged. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. The apostles left rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Christ. 1 Peter three, fourteen through 15 but even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you are blessed. And do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. And always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you, with meekness and fear. 1 Peter four twelve 12-13 Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trials which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened to you, but rejoice to the extent that you partake, partake in Christ's sufferings, that when His glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. Colossians 323 25 Whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. It is the Lord Christ's it is the Lord Christ whom you serve, for he who does wrong will receive the consequences of the wrong of what he has done, and that without partiality. The 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 Bible, the New Testament is full of of stories, of instruction, understanding that we don't live for here. We live in this time and in this place. But what we do here is reflected in eternity. What we do here defines who we are. And then we turn around and reach eternity. I see this time as as that before the child is born, that time in the womb, when we're growing, when we're developing, when we're becoming. When we cast off this, this fleshly body, it is to go to our true home, New Testament talks about that, that we're not this is not our home. Eternity will go on. This is but a speck. This life is but a speck. Going back to what C.S. Lewis was talking about, just a, a small stroke of the first word, of the first paragraph, of the introduction, of the first volume the millions, billions, quadrillions of volumes that will be who we are in eternity. But yet this defines the actions and our choices. Our times today defines who we will become and who we will be, whether we choose God or whether we choose not God. Whether we choose to seek God's will and to be in paradise with Him or whether we choose to turn our back on Him and say, I want my own thing. I, want, I, want, I don't want you. I want you to stay as far away from me as possible. I only want me. And then God does about as much of that as He can do. But get the choice. You get the choice. Do you want God or do you want not God? To not have God since he's the one that created us since he's the one that takes care of us since he's the one that provides for us having not God means having nothing we live in torment we exist in torment we choose how it's not something God forces on us it's the choice that we make our current our current western world mantra growing up from what I've seen is you can do what you want as long as it doesn't hurt anyone else According to this view, the consequences to our actions are few and mean very little. It's a mantra of relative truth. Everyone has their own view of what truth is and what it means, and if what you believe and do works for you, then great. Just as long as it doesn't hurt anyone else or trample on somebody else's views. That's our worldview. The problem is that we in the church have this habit of taking on the worldview. Within the church, usually takes a lot longer. Usually, when the worldview changes, it takes a decent amount longer for the church to, to join in that worldview. But too often, too many churches do exactly that. Tend these the worldview tends to pervade the church and become acceptable, even when it's the opposite of Scripture. But when we look at that that ma- that mantra, that mentality, you can do what you want as long as it doesn't hurt anyone else. And you look at that. In the light of eternity, it doesn't fit. When we do what we want, we are basically turning away from God and saying, It's not about what you want, God. It's about what I want. It's about what I want. And since I want it and it's not what you want, then I don't want you. When we accept this this worldview, this mentality, you can do what you want as long as it doesn't hurt anybody else. First off, it's false because everything you do affects the people around you. There's nothing that you do that does not affect the people around you. Even what's hidden, even what no one else can see, even what happens in the dark, what no one else can see, affects the people around you. I've spoken this, similar messages to to youth. And I talk about if they have a younger brother or sister, they do drugs, what's going to happen to their Younger brother or sister. They may not think that their parents can see it. They may not think it's a big deal. Even if their grades starts to slip, okay, whatever. I can do what I want. What does their younger brother or sister see? Who do they look up to? We ha- we in the church even have this mentality, as long as it doesn't hurt me. We talked about in Sunday school about the the parable of the Good Samaritan. We talked about how How the the priest and the Levite just passed right by, and the Samaritan went and he helped the man. What we do affects eternity. We have that choice to make in our lives. Are we going to be the good Samaritan, or are we going to be the person that passes right by? What we do, how we live, are we going to live in the light of how I feel right now, that five minutes from now may be completely different? Or do we live in light of eternity, focused on what is what I am doing? How is it going to affect me? How is it going to affect me eternally? How is it going to affect those around me eternally? We have a responsibility to ourselves, to God, to the people around us. Whether we want that or not, we have that responsibility. So the question becomes, What do I need to change? I know I don't do this. I know I many times live for the now. I know many times I'm so focused on what I want that I miss it. Even I fail in this regard. And I'm the one up here preaching it. And I fail. And I can tell you, I will continue to fail. There will be Time after time where I will fail, I will not look at eternity. I will look at what I want. I will see what it it's about me and about what I want. And I will fail. This is something that we that all of us need to get a hold of. Something that the church I think is lost. We go day to day and we go to church and we have our we come and, and we feel like, oh okay, that's all I need. That's that's my thing for the week. I'm good. But it's not. When I was this past week I was at camp with with our students and something that they said something that they said about this and right before I said that sentence I remembered what it was. And now I completely forgot. Oh, that's what it was. Okay. Sorry. They talked about how the pastors, how the, the, the youth were there and the students were there, and every night was just an amazing time, and God was just working and, and was doing some amazing, miraculous things the entire time. And the they talked about how in the past... Youth leaders try to keep the camp experience going. It's always so amazing, and God always does so many amazing things. And youth pastors attempt to keep that fire going, but that that's not what they're there for. And students look to their youth pastor to keep a fire going, but that that's not the youth pastor's responsibility. It's not the head pastor's responsibility to keep the fire going. The head pastor, the, the pastor's responsibility is to give you fuel. Your responsibility is to go to God and allow God to take that fuel and turn it into fire. I will fail. I can guarantee it because I won't always take that fuel and apply it to the fire. But that's what God's calling us to do. I can't, I can't make what I'm saying here today stick in your lives. I can I can't do that. I don't have the ability. It's not my job. That's between you and God. But I do have a responsibility to bring it to you. I know after doing this, after researching this and putting this all together, I know I'm I'm going to I want this to be my mentality. I want my mentality to be of heaven. I want my mentality to be that not of what's going on around me. That's what I want. And I have to seek God for that. And I'm going to fail, just like everyone else. But God is the one that brings it all to fruition. It's funny because He, plants the, he gives us the seed. He plants it in our lives. We're to, plant, we're to take that seed and to plant it in other people's lives. But He makes it work. He grows the seed. So that's my challenge for you guys this week. It's my challenge for you. Start looking at what effect does this have, not for me today. What effect does this have in heaven? Is how I'm acting going to help me now or in heaven? Am I going to have the the mentality of of the early church? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you are blessed. And do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to anyone who asks for a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. So many of these things, that's our responsibility. And we won't be able to do it on our own. Lord, I lift up each and every one of these lives today. Lord, help us to have that mentality. Help us to have that focus. That understanding that our lives are not about what we want right now, what we have right now. Lord, help us to have that mentality, not to store up treasures here on earth, but to have store up treasures in heaven. Lord, that, that what we have, what we want, will fade away. The memories will, be, will, dis, will disappear, and the, the stuff will break and fall apart. Lord, help us to have that mentality of heaven, Lord. To see things in context. Give us that vision, that sight. That ability to see and understand. We thank you for the work that you are doing. And we thank you that you are in control. And that we can trust you. And that as we've seen here, Lord, as you showed us, Lord, you do these miraculous things. And you bless us and you bless us. We don't need to worry about these things, but to give it to you you and you take care of us. We thank you for that, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.